Well, I'd like for you to turn with me to Exodus 33. We're finishing our series, Finding God in the Wilderness. As you recall, in, uh, 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 Exodus 33 is, is the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. They have left Egypt. God has delivered them from the Egyptians, but they're not yet in the promised land. They're in that land in between, as Jeff Mannion calls it, that land between where they're not where they've been, they're not where they're getting ready to be. And the reality is many of us have spent time in the, in the wilderness places where we're not where we were, we're not where we want to be. You may be in a position where you've lost a job and you haven't found a new job yet and you're in that land between. You might be that person that, that is getting ready to graduate from high school and, and you're not yet in college and you're kind of feeling like you're, you know, that senioritis, that land between. Uh, you, you find yourself in this in many times of life When you're in the wilderness, you're probably in the land between. When you're at a tough time in your life, you're probably at a land between two things. And Moses was in this land between. And the whole time, through this whole process, his focus is on the presence of God. That's what he wants most of all. The presence of God in his life. And God's already been present. He craves it even more. God's already demonstrated his his power and, and yet... Moses craves it even more. What we find is when we taste and see that the Lord is good, we long for more of him. And so that those times in between, those wilderness times in our lives are are powerful times which causes us to crave him, causes us to thirst for him in those dry and weary land where there is no water. We're craving him and we don't even realize it. So many times we, we have this hole inside of us and we're trying to fill it with all this stuff of life to make us happy, to give us strength, to give us whatever. And really it's a God-shaped hole that every one of us has and the only thing that satisfies is God himself. Our hearts are restless, as Augustine said, until they find its rest in you. And so when you're in that land between, it's a longing for God that we have. And that's what we see with Moses. He, he, he tells the Lord, Lord, I, I, how can we go forward unless your presence is with us? And God's already said, I'm not going to go with you. I might kill you along the way. And, and Moses says, I don't care if you kill us along the way. I want you. And don't send us if you don't come, if you're not with us. And what distinguishes us from all the people on the earth is that your presence is with us. That's what distinguishes the believer. It's not what I do. It's not all the things I say. It's not that I carry a big Bible around or have a Bible app on my phone. It's his presence. The presence of God. And when people see it, they know it. Because they see things only God can do. They can see things that that you cannot do on your own. And so then Moses says, show me your glory once more of that. And God says, I can show you some, but I can't show you all. And I intentionally, in this series, wanted to cover 12 to the end of the chapter before I went back and looked at 7, 7 to 11. Because here in 7 to 11, He begins and he has this tent of meeting. And I don't think that we would understand this tent of meeting unless we understood what happened after. And so I intentionally did three messages dealing with uh, verses 12 to 23. And then I wanted to go back and look at verse 7 to 11. 
he starts off and he says, Now Moses used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. God wants to meet with us. That's one of the things that you see here. Moses set up a tent and God showed up. God wants to meet with us. I want you to let that soak in a minute. I want to, in fact, I want to make a comparison here. God wants to meet with us. Do we want to meet with him? Are there people in this world that you would just love to meet with? I mean, think about, you know, you're this person in, in life that you think, oh, I would love to meet that person. Maybe it's a book that you've read and I say, I would love to meet the author of that book. Or maybe it's a, uh, you, you like sports and you've watched all sorts of sports and you would like to, to, to meet a Serena Williams or a LeBron James or, or uh, and I have a hard time saying this one, but Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you would like to meet an actor or an actress, maybe a Tom Cruise because you love the Mission Impossible stuff or, or you would like to meet a Jennifer Lawrence or, or you just you find that or you find a musician that you, would, you just love to follow their music, a Chris Tomlin or, or, a, a, or, or somebody else, maybe a country western artist. I mean, you think of all these different people that you would love to meet and you think, man, I would be so thrilled. I'd be, I'd be shaken if I, if I met this person. And you're hoping for just maybe shaking their hand and getting a selfie with them. And yet the God of the universe wants to meet with us. Do we have the same level of excitement about that or do we just take it for granted? Oh yeah, God wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with me. Okay, God, I'll give you a little bit of my time. I, I don't have much and... I mean, is that, is, how do we treat God? What is, what is it that we're looking for? And I, I begin to realize this is the God of the universe who, who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the God of the universe who parted the Red Sea. This is the God of the universe who loves me so much that he came incarnate, Jesus Christ, and he died for me. And I think, wow, I should, I should just, I mean, I, that should be such an incredible privilege to meet with God. And so I think, where am I in that? Where am I in that meeting with God? Am I, am I like Moses? I would set up a tent and I would go there on a regular basis and, and just meet with God. Would I love that? Would I long for that? Do I long for that now? I mean, people uh, from, from the beginning of uh, the scriptures to the end meet with God. You see Enoch in the very initial pages of scripture. He walked with God for 300 years. Now, he had 65 years that apparently he didn't, or it's not spoken about. And then something changed in his life. He had a transformation uh, in his life. He had Methuselah born, first child, and guess what? He started walking with God. I think there's a reason for that. All of a sudden, he feels like, I don't know what to do with this, this new life, and, what do I, and I need to walk with the Lord. I need to trust him. There are times in life that change us and that cause us to want to walk with him. You see that with Moses. And in fact, God tells Moses uh, in uh, Exodus 30, verse 6, about three chapters before this one. Put the altar in front of the curtain, in other words, the altar of incense, that is before the ark of the testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Enoch walks with God. God says, I want you to set up this, this, this altar and, and I want to meet with you there. He sets up this tent of meeting later and God meets with him there. 
God wants to meet with you and I so much that Jesus came incarnate. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to meet with us face to face. I mean, think about that. That's, that's, that's not a small thing that God did there. He, he wants to meet with us. He wants to be with us. And it's, uh, in fact, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so here we are, two or three more or more. God is here. We meet him corporately as well as individually. He wants to meet us in both contexts, not just solely individually. It's one of the reasons why I can't have church the same way online as I have here, being here present. Because I can't meet corporately with you, can't sing corporately, hear your voices, be encouraged by you, be challenged by you, because I see your faith, I see your trust in the Lord as we speak together in the hallways, as I see your worship of the Lord, and I, and I sense what you are doing there. I sense that from our people on the praise team as well. You know, one of the things that, that I think is important is not that we have a, a group of people who lead us in worship, as worship leaders, but our lead worshipers, I like that phrase better because they, they are worshiping the Lord here. It takes it from entertainment to worship because they're worshiping and it draws us in. And we want to be a part of that worship. And we'll see that later in the text. It draws our hearts in. And that's what we see with Moses here. It says he used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Is this tent the same tent as the tabernacle? No, it hadn't been built yet. It hadn't been constructed yet. J. Vernon McGee said that perhaps that this tent of meeting outside the, the uh, camp was, a, was them in, uh, constructing the tabernacle, and so it wasn't finished yet, and so they had it outside the camp. I don't think that's the case, because the tent of meeting was intended to be in the center part of the camp. It wasn't supposed to be outside the camp. I think this was a separate tent. And you think, what was supposed to, why did he set it outside the camp? Why was it set out there? Well, many times things that were outside the camp were outside the camp because they were defiled, because they were involved in sin. You see people who were uh, going to be healed of something, uh, of a leprosy, they, they went outside the camp, it says, in order to diagnose it and have the priest diagnose it. And in fact, in Exodus 29, a few chapters before this, we see that whenever they had the sin offering, it was outside the camp where the sin offering was made. And you kind of go, wow. So in a sense, it was when you went outside the camp, it, it was a, a recognition of sin. And so did he set up the tent of meeting because he wanted to show the separation from God, because he wanted to show that we're sinful? If that's the case, then it also means that God was willing to show up in the midst of our sin. He was willing to show up in the place that we are. Not in the place that we will be whenever, whenever we will see him face to face, when we will have Christ's righteousness on us. But he wanted to see us where we're in our sin. And I was just like, wow, how profound is that? I don't know how many people I've talked to when I've, I've urged them to come to Christ. I've urged them to, to believe on Jesus. When I've 
urge them to turn to Christ and they say, well, I'm not ready yet. And I say, why aren't you ready? What's holding you up? And they say, well, I don't have my act together yet. I've got some things in my life. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's right where God meets us. It's when we got stuff in our life. When we don't have our act together. In fact, you're never going to get your act together. And especially on your own. That's what sanctification is all about. Is that God begins to work on those areas of my life. And he begins to transform me. It's not a self-transformation process. That's religion. It's to kind of self-transform. And you don't go very far. Christianity is about God transforming us. That, that transformation is, a, is in a passive sense that we are being transformed. Not that we are transforming in an active sense, but he is transforming us as we rely on him. And so when we think about what God is doing and how he is transforming, how he is changing us, we begin to rely on him. And it's not me getting my act together. It's me receiving Christ as my Savior because I'm completely unworthy. I'm completely unable to get my act together. And I put my faith and trust in him. It took me the first 17 years of my life to begin to understand that. It was the first 17 years I had no clue about that. And then I began to realize, as I began to read the scriptures, God began to change my understanding. And he set me free from this faulty system where I thought I had to get it together. Because I can't. And so when he pitches the tent outside the camp, he's pitching it perhaps to show that that we're separated from God, perhaps to show our sinfulness and that yet God meets us there at their, at their point of sinfulness, at their point of our need. And he sets it some distance away. I think there are probably other reasons why he set it out there. One is so that I intentionally go toward him, so that Moses would intentionally go toward him, so that it was an intentional thing. It was, it was something that, that he did with intent. It was something that was not private. People would see it. It was kind of right out there. It's not something that's accidental. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going by the tent of meeting. I guess I'll... No, you had to intentionally want to go there and head out. He goes on and says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting. So it also communicated the fact that God is accessible to all. Anyone. It says would go out. It didn't say they could go out. It, they would go out. Apparently people took advantage of this. And they, they went out to meet with God and they realized, hey, I can meet with God. I, I can talk to him. He's not holy other. He's not hidden in such a way that I can't be related to him. And so they would go to be with him, go to be a part of what God was doing. It says in verse 8, And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And so that's where I got the idea that it was not a private thing. It was a public thing. Everybody could see it. I don't know if it was set up higher. I don't know if they just, he's going out. Oh, he's going out to the tent again. And all of a sudden, everybody's paying attention. I don't know. It says, as Moses went down to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, 
they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. So when Moses was worshipping God, people began to worship God. As Moses was being transformed, it was transforming the culture around him. And so you realize as we begin to allow the Lord to transform us, it changes us and everyone else as well who's watching, who is paying attention to see what's going on with us. Uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, we see Paul talking about this. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 18, it says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So he's talking about this very passage. Paul in 2 Corinthians talking about this very passage. He must have been having his quiet times in it as he wrote 2 Corinthians. And he talks about this and he says, Moses would put a veil over his face. Now we don't see that from our text, but we see that from 2 Corinthians. And he says, Moses would put a veil over his face and this veil was to hide the fading glory. So there was a glory. His face glowed whenever he spoke to the Lord and, and it began to fade away and he didn't want people to see it fading away. And I was thinking about how when we spend time with God, there should be a glow about us. There should be something different about us, something that distinguishes us, the presence of God in our life. People can see it. It's seeable. Because we see that when, uh, when Paul keeps talking about it, he says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 3, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, but because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We have an understanding that people around us don't have because they read the same message that we read. They read the same Bible that we read, and you can tell there's a veil over them. They don't understand. They don't seem to get it. It doesn't penetrate them. But when they turn to the Lord, it changes a person. All of a sudden, they see things that they never saw before. They have an understanding that they never understood before. I experienced that when I was 17 years old, and I had a veil over my heart, and I thought that I just needed to keep the law, and I just needed to be a good person. I needed to do right things. I needed to be righteous. And whenever I came to Christ, it's like that completely came off, and my heart was broken before the Lord, and I realized, wow, I could never do anything on my own without his grace, without his strength, without him working in and through me. And he begins that transformation process and makes me different. And it was when I turned to the Lord, and that's what he says, when anyone turns to the Lord, when you begin to believe on Jesus, when you receive Christ as your Savior, we use a lot of different phrases and terms, but it's basically belief that I believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose from the dead and that when I put my faith in him, I have eternal life. It's a simple thing. It's so simple that anyone can do it. And I think that's the reason God keeps it so simple. And yet it's so complex when you begin to look at the theology of it. As I began to study and work on my PhD in theology, there's such incredible richness and depth that you would not imagine. And the more I read, the more I am in awe of God. How he keeps it so simple and yet it's so incredibly complex. 
and he sets us free. He opens our hearts. That's why it says, you shall know the truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from trying to keep this system that you cannot keep. He says, now the Lord is spirit, verse 17, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We reflect the Lord's glory when we have Christ in our life because Christ is shining through us. It says, we reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. Notice it's in the passive, are being transformed, not are transforming ourselves, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Little by little by little, we began to, to exemplify the glory of the Lord, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's the one doing the work. He's the one that's transforming. He's the one who changes us. And we have a glow about us. Whenever those, when we begin to walk with the Lord, when we turn to the Lord, he begins to make that transformation in us that we could never do. And he changes us. And that's what we see. It's, it's whenever he's being transformed, it begins to transform the people. Verses in Exodus 33:10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped. They stood up. How did we know they worshiped? We don't know. They didn't say. Did they raise their hands in worship? I don't know. Did they do it the whole time that the cloud was there, the whole time Moses was in the tent? I don't know. But it said they stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. So they didn't even go to the tent of meeting. They were standing at their own tent and they knew Moses was there and they saw the pillar of cloud and they were all worshiping the Lord. Because Moses was. When we meet with God, when we take God up on his, his desire to meet with us, it transforms us and it transforms our culture. Tim Keller talks about this in, uh, uh, and he says that basically a transformed person transforms culture. And so we want to see the culture around us change then we need to be transformed. And the culture may not respond. The culture may not change. The veil may remain. In fact, we see this with Isaiah in Isaiah 6, verse 8. It says, and I said to the Lord, here I am, send me. I mean, he's just seen God. He's just seen God seated on the throne. He's seen the seraphim worshiping him, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He falls on his face. He sees his own sinfulness, his own unworthiness. And God says, who will I send? And he says, send me. Send me. He says, go and tell this people. And he, and he has this message for the people. And so then Isaiah says, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without habitation, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. You think, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's not what I was hoping would come from my, my preaching. I, I was hoping that my preaching would transform culture and transform society. And God said, that's not going to happen. But you preach anyway. You're a bearer of truth. You're my truth bearer. And I want you to speak, even though people may not respond at all. That's not up to you. It's not up to you to change their hearts. It's not up to you to make them different. We so much in life want to change somebody else around us. We want to make them different. We, we see how their life could be better. And, and we say, please do this. Please do this. Please change your life. And the reality is I can't change anyone. But my God can. If they'll respond to him, if they'll turn their hearts to him, he'll set them free. He will change their hearts. They will begin to be transformed into his glory. And so my focus every time needs to be the Lord. 
Not on just making them different or helping them to, to, oh, if you'll do this or if you'll do that. No, come to the Lord. He's the one who transforms. He's the one who changes. He's changed me. I know he can change you. And I know he can change those around us. And I've never flagged on that. I began to realize it is him and it's not me trying to fix my world around me. It's him. He's the one who changes things. He's the one who, when, when Moses comes and he meets with him at the tent of meeting, the people stood, they worshiped. And the Lord would speak to Moses, it says in verse 11, face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And it made me remember John 15 where Jesus says, I call you friends. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. God wants relationship with us. He would speak to Moses face to face. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement there because you think, wait a minute, wait a minute here, Moses. Because in verse 23, you say, whenever you wanted to see God, and he says, no, you can see me, but you, he says in verse 23, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And so you think, wait a minute, you're saying you're speaking face to face, but your face must not be seen. Which one is it? It's both. It's kind of interesting the way God does that sometimes, both. There's some things that we can't see about God. We can't see him and his glory. We see him in his glory, we would die. And I think that's what he's talking about in verse 23. We see him in all his glory, what's called the beatific vision or how you pronounce that. This, this beauty, seeing God in his glory, we would, our hearts would be so full. We see in Isaiah, he falls down and he sees his sinfulness. We see God in his glory, we would be overwhelmed to the point that, that our lives would just expire. So what's going on here in speaking face to face? The disciples spoke with God face to face in the incarnation of Christ. So is this a pre-incarnation of Christ here? I'm thinking it may be. The angel of the Lord is, a, is possibly a pre-incarnation of Christ. I think this is as well. Because it says the Lord, verse 11 all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Every time you see that, it's the four consonants uh, in the Hebrew that we pronounce Yahweh, the personal name of God. Yahweh would speak with Moses face to face. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus, and when you look at the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is Yahweh. He is our personal God. He is, we worship Father, we worship Son, we worship Holy Spirit. The pre-incarnate Christ, I think, appeared to Moses face to face. And Moses craved more, but God said, I won't show you that which would completely end your life. And so he speaks with him face to face. God desires to meet with us. And he meets with us where we are, outside the camp. An interesting thing is, is that it says, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Why didn't he leave the tent? Why did Moses leave the tent, but Joshua didn't? Uh, Moses learned to delegate, and I think that Joshua was hanging around the tent. Why? He wasn't doing any sacrifices. I think he was there so that when anyone 
inquiring of the Lord, would go to the tent of meeting. He would be there to assist them and to help them through that process. It's small wonder why Joshua, the son of Nun, who was meeting, who was there at the tent of meeting, and he continued and remained there, was selected as the next leader of Israel after Moses' death. God took a man who had, had sought him in order to place him in a position of responsibility and authority. God longs for us to seek him. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth, we find out, looking for someone whose heart is completely his, who's seeking him. And I've always thought, may God's glance throughout the, the earth meet my gaze, that I would keep my eyes focused on him and it would just like, whoa, there's one that's looking at me. I hope that my life is something that as I continue to seek the Lord, as I continue to let him transform me, as I, as I respond to his love, and as you respond to his love, as you the same way, that it would transform us. And because it transforms us, it would transform the culture around us or at least be truth bearers for what is true so that when people respond to him, that they would begin to follow up in worship as well. God loves you. He came to meet with you incarnate in Christ Jesus. He came to meet with humanity, Emmanuel, God with us, because he wants to meet with us face to face. He calls us friends. He calls those his children who respond to his grace, who respond to Christ, who turn to him. And we begin to reflect his glory little by little. And as we do, that's how a culture has even a chance of transformation. Because their hearts begin to be changed as they turn to the Lord. I, for one, pray that that would be the, my life and my work. It's not about what I do. It's about who I am. It's who God calls me to be. And he calls me his child. He calls me, uh, uh, as I responded to Christ, he calls me uh, his, uh, his heir. He calls me as one who is an heir of salvation. That's what a child is, an adopted child. And so we look at that and we realize God loves us and he wants to meet with us. May we meet with him every day. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. So what is he implying? That we meet with him on a daily basis every day and ask him to provide for us that we meet with him on a regular basis, that that becomes the habit of our life and that we begin to crave that. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we begin to crave that more than meeting anybody else on this planet, no matter how famous, no matter how attractive their life. That that is what distinguishes us, is the presence of God. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you love us with a love indescribable. A depth of a love that we cannot ever research completely. A depth of a love that we can only begin to grasp. 
Father, thank you that you want to meet with us and you meet with us where we are. You don't require us to get to a certain point before you'll meet with us. You just meet with us in our own unworthiness. You meet with us in our own sinfulness. You meet with us while we were still sinners. Christ died at that point when we were still sinners. He died for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us, grow us, transform us. Help us to reflect your glory. Help us to be those that people begin to see you through us and they begin to desire you and they begin to crave you. Help us to crave you more than anything else in this world, more than anything else in this life. Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.